with us. My name is Kevin Cox. I'm the pastor of Vista Church. And uh, we thank you for being with us. What a great turnout again from week number two uh, of our two services that we will now be doing uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, last week we started this new series called Uncomfortable and what it means to embrace uh, all kinds of people, all kinds of backgrounds coming into, uh, into the church and the body of Christ. And that's really what reflects the kingdom of God. And we're going to take another step today, but what it means to have or to live the Christian life really is more of an uncomfortable life, the way that Jesus describes it to us. And I began to think about this week, and I realized that a lot of times when it comes to the, the, the Christian life being a difficult life to live, I realize it boils down many times to one thing, people, that if it weren't for other people, I'd be the greatest Christian on the face of the planet. <laughs> oh, no one wants to laugh at that, sure. So think about it. If, if you didn't have other people, then you wouldn't have to love anybody else, right? I can love myself real good all by myself. I can honor myself. I can serve myself. I can do whatever I want. And then I realize that is not what the Christian life is all about. That's not what Jesus has called us to be about. In fact, several years ago, uh, we had a men's group that was meeting in my house. And one of the guys there, we had been, it was, we were walking ourselves through... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's what many will call the, the chapter on love. Love is patient, love is kind, and it goes on to describe more and more what love is. And we were talking about what that means to, if you were married, how you were to put this into practice in your marriage. And this guy kind of looked at me and he said, I don't, I don't think that's true. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I think my wife needs to love me that way, but I don't know if I should love her that way in return. <laughs> I'm just conveying the message. And I said, well, but this is, this is, and, and honestly, that was probably my response as well. Now that I think about it. I thought, well, okay, let's talk about this a tad. This is what it means. This was not written, Paul wasn't writing this to your wife. He was writing it to you. And what I said is, I want you to put in there, take out the word love and put your own name in there. And when he began to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 with his own name in the verse, rather than love, he said, I've never done this for my wife. I need to go back and do something, and this is the word he used. This is going to be extremely uncomfortable for me. And I got to thinking, that is what Jesus has called us to. A life that's uncomfortable at times. A life where we put others before ourselves. In fact, he goes on to describe that in the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 34. Mark is the second chapter, I'm sorry, second book in the New Testament. If you have your Bibles, you can look it up. If not, it'll be on the screen next to me, or you can look it up on your phone, however you choose to do so. But I want to read this for us, and I'm going to explain a little bit of the background. In the beginning in verse 31, it says this. It talks about Jesus. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You've got to understand a little bit about the background of what, in order to get to Mark chapter 8, verse 31, the Jewish people 
for generations, when we look in the Old Testament, we're waiting for the Messiah to come, the Deliverer, the Chosen One, the Christ. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, and he begins to do miraculous things. In fact, when we, in this very chapter, in chapter 8 of the Gospel of Mark, we see a couple of stories that demonstrate his greatness. He fed 4,000 people, probably more than that, because that was just describing or just counting men. So when you add women and children, it could have been close to 10 to 12,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Then he would walk down the road and a blind man would come uh, up to him and he would spit on the blind man's eyes and immediately he was healed. But again, then he says, he gets to a time with his disciples and he starts getting close to really what he wants to get out with them. And he asked them the question, he said, who do, who do the people say that I am? And the response was, well, some think you're Elijah, some think you're Jeremiah, others think that you're Moses, some think you're a prophet. And Jesus said, let's cut to the chase. Who do you say that I am? In a moment of clarity and inspiration that can only come from the Father, Peter jumps up and he says, I know who you are. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus then says to them, okay, that's it. You've hit on it, but don't go tell anybody what, what we talked about tonight. Now, the disciples, like my children, if I tell them not to do something, what do you think they're going to do? The exact opposite. If I tell my children, this is a secret, don't go tell your mother, what's going to happen? My children immediately run to their mother, and I usually get in trouble in the process. So what happens is the disciples, instead of keeping their mouths shut, begin to tell other people that this is the chosen one. That Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that we've been waiting. And all of a sudden, these crowds began to form around Jesus. So Peter, in this moment of inspiration, he, uh, whose name would eventually be changed, and he says, you're the son of the living God. But then we come to this, this passage. And what happens is, is the crowds are coming, towards, are coming towards Jesus, and they're crowding around him in a moment. Here's what we do in the American church. The more crowds, the better we think we are. Jesus could care less about the crowds. All he cared about was his mission. And so the crowds are coming, and they're thinking, okay, Jesus is going to come. He's going to cast out the Roman government. He's going to put the Jewish nation back on the map. We're going to be the number one nation in the world. And Jesus says this. He says, this is not going to go the way you think it's going to go. In fact, your religious leaders are about to come, and they don't like me very much. They're going to begin to persecute me, they're going to kill me, but don't worry, the grave is not the end. Now you can imagine, if Jesus told the crowds this, they're thinking he's the chosen one of the Messiah, and all of a sudden you can imagine that the wind went completely out of their sails at this point. What do you mean that you're going to be persecuted, you're going to die? What does that even mean? And so we look at, after 2,000 years, look back at what then Peter says, no, 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 Jesus, that's not our plan. That's not God's plan. And what does Jesus respond to him? He says, get behind me, Satan, because your mind is on the things of this world, not on the things of the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been called Satan before, and I don't think that would feel very good. So either it was the worst comment Jesus possibly could have made to, to Peter by naming him this, or the word really means opponent or adversary, someone who is in opposition to the plans of the Father. Either way, it wasn't good. He says, I want you to get behind me because your mind is not on the things of my kingdom. And then Jesus goes on and he says, he turns to the crowd. 
and begins to talk directly to them. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, <clears throat> and follow me. What's he describing? He's describing the uncomfortable life. It's hard. See, what it is is coming into Jesus, we have grace, we have mercy, we have salvation. It's free. Follow after Jesus costs everything. And so he's telling us, and we're going to let Jesus' words describe to us what it means to live this uncomfortable life. If we're going to be the body of Christ together, if we're going to be a church that grows together, if we're going to be a church that goes into our community and does kingdom work for those who are far away from God, we must understand the life that we're getting ourselves involved in. Let's let him guide our discussion. How do we live this uncomfortable life? The first one is, he says, we must deny ourselves. Let me ask you a very personal question this morning. How many of you have ever been on any kind of diet in your life? Okay, some of you are not telling the truth. <laughs> this morning, so uh, when people go on diets, and I, I, uh, this week I thought, I wonder how many kind of diets there are right now in 2018. I stopped counting at about 12 different kinds of diets. You've got those that are the old standby, Nutrisystems and Weight Watchers. And then you go after that, you have Atkins, you have Paleo, you have something called M-I-N-D, the MIND diet. And then you have the TLC diet. And then you have, uh, let me, I'll read some of the, the rest of them to you. Uh, the DASH diet, the raw food diet, the Mediterranean diet, the flexitarian diet, the keto diet, something called volumetric diet. And then someone came up with just numbers, the 5-2 five, uh, five, diet. I don't know what that means. How many of you have been on multiple diets of those? Now we're getting real. How many of you been on plan? Uh, didn't, didn't list, uh, I didn't list all of yours. I've got all those plus six Excellent. Very good. <laughs> Sometimes confession is good for the soul. <laughs> and I got to thinking, I was looking at all these diets, and I'm thinking, why do we go on these? And the purpose is obviously to lose weight. And I thought, you know what? I'd rather just stick to, to run in a few days a week because I've got my own top five that's going to keep me from being on that diet. It's called chocolate pie, it's called chocolate thingy, it's brownies, banana pudding, and key lime pie because it's always refreshing to eat during the summertime. <laughs> and so when we eat those, those things, it's not going to help whatever diet that I want. I could be on all 12, all of Clint's 20, that's not going to help. And I realize there's only one number in my life that I care about at this point. Because what someone once told me, and this was a nutritionist, they said, for your height, which is not much, <laughs> That you're, I'm not lying, that your ideal weight is 135 pounds. 35 years ago, maybe so. Not anywhere close now. And so if you want me to get down to 135, that means I'm going to have to what? I'm going to have to deny myself some things. I'm not going to deny the top five. That's not happening. So you pick something else and I'll be good. But those five are still on the diet. In fact, there's only one number I care about, and that's the number 200, and get him below it, because that's my cholesterol level. That's all I care about. <laughs> and that's not good, people. So people go on diets to deny themselves, and Jesus is saying this, to live the uncomfortable life, you're going to have to deny yourself. He said, I want you to look in your heart and find the thing that you treasure the most that's in opposition to the kingdom of God. That needs to be denied. That's uncomfortable. And sometimes what that 
thing is, is on the other side is something we need to let into our life that we're pushing away. And that's a relationship with someone who thinks, well, that person doesn't look like me. I need to deny my preferences, my desires, to let them come in. Think about the circle of people around Jesus. And those people, those guys are messed up. But he invited them. He called them. And so Jesus has given us an example. He said, you won't live this kind of life, but you need to deny yourself. And then he takes the next step, and we don't like this one. He says, take up our crosses. At the center of the Christian faith is the cross. Now, what we've done in the American church today is we have prettied up the cross and forgotten really what the cross is all about. This was the worst and most heinous form of execution that that world in that time knew. It was not only a form of execution, it was a form of humiliation and shame. When Jesus fulfilled a prophecy that the chosen one, the Messiah, would die on the tree, he fulfilled that prophecy, but no one could have imagined what was going to happen. And not only did they just stick him there, but they had to parade them through town so people could, they could mock them, they could taunt them, they could make fun of them. It was not only humiliating for the person who was being executed, but the whole family was humiliated in the process. And then Jesus comes along, and these people knew exactly what he was describing, is that you've got to take up your cross. So what is it in your life that needs to be taken up? And sometimes that, that's people in our lives where they go, oh, again, they don't look like me, they don't think like me. I need to deny myself and take up the cross that Jesus has given to me. The flip side of that is, I'm thinking, I wonder how many people think I'm their cross. That I'm the burden for them. So we always look at it from our perspective. Oh, if I have to carry that person, they're going to be a burden in my life. If I have to like them, that's going to be a burden. But I never turn the tables and look at myself and think, am I a burden to anybody else? Or am I a cross that they have to carry? When we start talking about body life, when we talk about what it means to be the body of Christ, there's going to be some times where I'm going to have to carry someone. I'm going to have to love them in the midst of their turmoil and their struggle and their strife. But the fact is, eventually a day is going to come where someone's going to have to carry me. And if I carry them, if I deny myself, my purposes, my time, and I have to get up in the middle of the night and go take care of someone, eventually that's going to come back around. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. That I deny myself, you deny yourself, I carry you, you become my burden, my cross, and then vice versa. The world doesn't see that anywhere. It's all about getting what I want, when I need it, whenever. But Jesus is describing to his disciples. He knows that he's going to go away and that they're going to have to leave the church. And he's showing them what it means to live body life. They just don't know it yet. So I started with that. I could be the greatest Christian on the planet Earth if we're not everybody else. And the fact is, you could say the same, but that's not what he's called us to. He's called us to deny ourselves, take up our cross. In fact, Paul even described it in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. He said this, those who belong to Jesus Christ have what? They've nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. He says, I don't want you to take just take up your cross. All the things that would draw you away from me, I want you to pull on that cross. I want you to nail it and leave it where you, where you put that cross and then walk away. But what we do is we, we adorn churches with crosses. We, we adorn ourselves with crosses and we kind of whitewash what Jesus did for us. We walk 
They took him away from that cross and they put him in a grave. He never went back to it. Take up our cross. Nail whatever it is that's keeping us from following in the kingdom ways of Jesus and then walk away from that. Leave it there. Love the people around you. Pick them up. Carry them. And then he says one more thing. And not only do we need to take, deny ourselves, take over crosses, then he does this, which is to me unbelievable. He says, then come and follow me. See, the problem with getting behind Christ and following him where he leads, is sometimes he leads us to places that we don't want to go. He leads us into difficult places. He leads us into difficult relationships. See, Peter said, oh, oh Jesus, that's not the plan. What he was seeing was, oh, Jesus, that's, that's not my plan. I don't want to go there. Okay, you said that you were going to be persecuted, you were going to suffer, you are going to die, but if, if I'm hanging out with you, that mean, is that going to mean that's what's going to happen to me? So what Jesus does is when he says, come follow me, he may lead us into places that we don't want to go because they are going to be uncomfortable. But here's the thing. We miss what Jesus' great purpose is in our lives. That for the person who is far away from God, that we want them to come to a relationship that transforms them so they can then live a kingdom life following after him. But Jesus' purpose in our life is this, is that we will eventually look like him, that we will eventually talk like him, that eventually we will have his mind, his behavior, his thoughts, his love, his compassion, his kindness. He says, eventually my purpose for you, my main goal, is for you to become like me. That's where we get the word Christian from. It's a tiny Christ. He says, I don't want you to get halfway. I want you to live the rest of your life looking like me. That's my purpose for you. And sometimes that may mean I'm going to put you in a relationship that's uncomfortable because I want to know how you're going to respond. I'm going to put you in a situation where it may not be everyone looks the same because I want you to be the light in that place. I want to see, will you be me there? And so Jesus will put us in situations where it's uncomfortable, it's awkward to see if we are truly becoming like him. What happens is most of the time in this process at some point, what we do is we back out. It's too hard. It's too uncomfortable. And so the people that are around us, eh, these people are weird. I'm not sure I want to stay here. These people don't look like me. I, I think I'm going to get out of this. These people don't have the same value system that I do. So I'm going to go find people that look like me. But as we said last week, that we need to embrace the discomfort because that discomfort, when everybody does not look the same, but we gather together and still worship and still fellowship, that reflects the kingdom of God. And eventually, one day, we're all going to stand before the Father, and we're not going to be the same color. We're not going to have the same socioeconomic background. We're not going to have the same values. But what we have is a common belief that Jesus is Savior and Lord, and he's what binds us together. So what he does is says, I want you to deny yourself. I want you to take up your cross. And I want you, then all of you, regardless of what you look like or where come from, to follow after me as one body of Christ. And what a testimony that is to the rest of the world. We live in a society in a day right now that we need to be that kind of kingdom reflecting church. And so then Paul comes along a few years later and he writes this. He says, I, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, have been crucified with Christ. 
it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am being crucified today. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Tomorrow, I'm going to be crucified again, because I've got to pick up that cross one more time. But it's not me who lives now, it's the Jesus in me that's living. I'm going to confess something to you right now. I can't live this life on my own. I've got to live it only by Jesus living it through me. Kevin has, must be crucified today. He must be crucified tomorrow. He must be crucified the rest of the week. I'm not going to be able to live this life on my own. Here's another little truth for you. I can't live it without you. That's what the body of Christ is for. That eventually I'm going to fall, eventually I'm going to struggle, and who's going to be there to pick me up? It's got to be the body of Christ. And I'll be there for you. That same gentleman that went back and said, oh, this is going to be an uncomfortable conversation. I don't know how to go about doing this. He came back the next week. He said, you're not going to believe what happened. My wife actually likes me now. I said, what did you do? He said, I began to put these love things into action rather than her, me doing, her doing it for me. I tried to do it for her, and I'll tell you what, it was bad to begin with. I was doing it all wrong. But even when I did it wrong, she still saw the change in me. And I'll be honest with you, it was uncomfortable. I'm already seeing my marriage be changed. Jesus is telling us, you want the body of Christ to look like that? If a marriage can do that, what can happen when the body of Christ is, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to live the uncomfortable life. The one that follows the cross of Jesus. We're going to deny ourselves and put others before us. We're going to take up, take up our cross, whatever that might be. And it very well could be the person sitting next to us. And I'm going to love them the way that Jesus has called me to love them. And I'm going to follow him even when he takes me to a place I don't want to go. Into a relationship I don't really care for. Because I realize what he's doing is shaping me to look more like himself. So when J.J. talked earlier about life groups, the fact is what we're doing in these groups is together becoming more like Jesus. And sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's awkward, but at the very, very bottom, or whatever you want to call it, it's absolutely essential. We can't live it by ourselves. We fool ourselves. I'm the greatest Christian of all time. Until we get up and close to people, we realize I have a long ways to go. But that's the journey we can do together. Let's pray.